one of the biggest things about me that's transformed is I realize that I don't have to do it all myself. Probably one of my you know challenges is like not asking for help, uh, either out of pride, either out of like, hey, I've got to figure it out on my own. Uh, and so one of the things I, I think for me that's ch- changed and transformed is like how I approach challenges. And it's not to hide, hunker down and work harder. It's about being open with it, sharing it with more people, and then seeing how I can get through this with the support of others instead of having to do it on my own. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Margin Edge it is the only restaurant management system to combine automatic invoice processing with POS and accounting integration, improving financial performance, visibility, and efficiency. In other words, with Margin Edge, you can finally run your restaurant without the massive paperwork nightmare. That sounds amazing. And all you have to do is snap a photo of the invoice with your smartphone. Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy up to 50% off your first year. Go to me.marginedge.com slash unstoppable. Everybody loves payday, am I right? But loving your payroll provider, that's a different story. It's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and HR support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern, and who knows, you might even fall in love. To learn more, head over to gusto.com slash unstoppable. And when you run your first payroll, you'll get your first three months free. Again, that's gusto.com slash unstoppable. Ladies and gents, you've got to own your presence online because that's where your first impressions are made. Good thing there is Bento Box because Bento Box empowers restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships directly through their websites. To learn more about Bento Box and how it can empower you through your website, head over to getbento.com slash unstoppable. And because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners, you'll save 50% off your setup fee. Again, that's getbento.com slash unstoppable. What's going on, Unstoppables? I've got a great episode for you today, but before I dive into today's teaser, I wanted to tell you about another restaurant podcast you've got to check out. It's called QSR Magazine's Fast Forward Podcast. The podcast features conversations with fast casual founders, entrepreneurs, and innovators discussing the process of opening and growing their restaurants. So if you like Restaurant Unstoppable, you're going to like QSR Magazine's Fast Forward Podcast. I'll be sure to link to it in the show notes and Honestly, if this podcast existed seven years ago, I probably wouldn't have started a restaurant unstoppable because it's that good. So go check it out. And today, guys, I have for you Terry Fom from Fat Straws in Plano, Texas. A great conversation today. We discuss what hospitality should look like, how Terry's IT experience helped him become more hospitable, the power of doing one thing really well, focusing on the guest experience, looking for turnkey operations when 
starting your business, being mindful of the limitations of your own thinking, how support groups have helped Terry's business and his mental health, implementing quality control, the process of creating your own values, building community by sourcing capital locally, and lastly but not leastly, how honesty and truth has served Terry in his business. Like I said, it's a great conversation. You are really going to enjoy it. So with no further ado, here you go, Terry Fom. And with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Terry Pham. Terry, are you feeling unstoppable today? Come on, you bet. Yes, I cannot <laughs> wait to dive into your story. But first, let's uh, tell me about what we got going on over here. Tell me, you, you gave me a little drink here. Yeah, Explain so we, we got I, I got a couple of teas here for us. Uh, traditional bubble tea is always shaken, okay. not stirred. Uh, and you can see, I actually shook your drink. There's a little froth of bubbles at the top. That's nice. why I actually got the name bubble tea. So these cups are really cool because we have a machine that seals oh. seals it so it wouldn't spill. And then these straws, this fat straw, we don't have the tapioca in here, but normally there's tapioca. The fat straw has a sharp end, and you just pop the top, man. Pop the top anywhere? Just like that. Beautiful. So you make these, and then you seal them in-house after you make them. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I like that. That's dick. Cheers. Cheers, man. All right. So let's get into who you are. I got to take a sip before I start that. Where, where's my head? <laughs> Oh, it's delicious. Thank you. All you right. Bet. So Terry and Jennifer Pham opened the first Fat Straws in 2002, and despite a challenging economic climate, grew 15 to 20% each year. And in 2007, Fat Straws launched its second location in North Dallas. Even the 2008 recession did not slow Fat Straws' continued growth due in part to Pham's focus on quality control, outstanding service, community-based marketing, and an emphasis on strong relationships with both customers and employees. Today, Fat Straws has reached a total of four locations locations and is looking to expand across the DFW area to bring happiness in a cup to even more thirsty customers. I cannot wait <laughs> to dive into your story, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Yeah, actually, it's a great question. I, I'm going to flip it. I'm going to, rather than talk about success, one of my favorites is from Sarah Blakely. Okay. It's something that her dad taught her. It was about reframing failure. Mm. And so failure is not tied to outcome. Failures when you don't try. Okay. So what her dad taught her was to celebrate every day at the dinner table. Hey, what did you try? What did you fail at? And they would high five each other. Isn't mindset so powerful? Just how we perceive things is can like literally transform our entire outlook on life. Absolutely, it's so powerful. I love that. So say it one more time. Don't yeah. focus on. Uh, yeah, failure is not tied to outcome. Failure is not even trying. Mm, I love it, man. Great way to get this thing started. So where does it make sense to start telling your story? Where do you want to bring us? I know you, you are, your family immigrated to America when you're, when yeah, before you were born. I right? think, I think, you know, I'll, I'll kind of start before I was born. So my father was an air force pilot in Vietnam. Uh, and before Saigon fell to the communists, my, my father, Got our family. My mom, the, my mom was pregnant with me, my three other siblings, and aunt and uncle out of Vietnam three days before Saigon fell. Uh, ended up, so kind of like set the table with that. Think about it. Like, I don't know if you could imagine like you getting picked up, displaced out of your, your home 
going to another country where one, you don't speak the language, right. two, you don't look like anyone, and literally all you have is a clothes in your back, and you have to start over from oh scratch. Oh my gosh! Right? Does she? So, t- are there any like, stories that come to mind of the, what she told you? Oh yeah, for sure. And just just that that journey, like ending up in a refugee camp and trying to figure out, like, okay, what are we going to do for work, and where are we going to live, and what can we what can we do for work? Um, and so, uh, my dad having a background as a, as a pilot was really trying to get some work flying and he was able to get some work, uh, took us from Arkansas over to Memphis, ultimately settled in Indianapolis. Uh, he was working for this upstart charter company and they were trying to land a pretty big contract with the Evansville, Indiana aces, which is a basketball team at that university. And so he was a pilot of that plane. Uh, the whole team, they were going to another game, and there was bad weather. Mm. And unfortunately, that plane crashed. So everyone on that, Ugh. the CEO of the company, uh, my dad, the co-pilot, all the basketball team coaches, everyone passed away. Yeah, it's rough, man. And <laughs> so, so, so then kind of fast forward that to like, okay, now my mom's here with four kids. I was two. Uh, how am I going to raise these yeah, kids so just, on my own? I mean, you're thinking like, okay, it's hard enough, right, to, sure. to come to this country with, with nothing to your name but the shirt on your back, right? And then, you know, you, you feel like there's hope, right? Okay, we got an opportunity, and then this happens, right? And then now your mom's got to do it on her own. I can only imagine, man, like that just, wow. Uh, what does she, like when she reflects back at that time, what things did she share with you? No, I mean, I think it was it was tough. I think oh, I there, were, there were times that she wondered like, can I do this? Mm. Do we keep going? Do we, you know, you can't go back. Yeah. Can't go back home. Right. So I think, but she, 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 she always tells me there was a moment when she looked over and just kind of saw all of us sleeping and she knew like, I just got to, I got to grind. That's all the reason I, she needed, right? I, that's all she needed. So, yeah. uh, we were pretty fortunate. There was a church here in Dallas called North Park Presbyterian. They kind of helped sponsor us, bring us over here, got us an apartment, furnished it and helped wow. my mom like figure out how to get a driver's license and like, how to you know go and interview and get some jobs and that ultimately eventually ended up her working for 7-Eleven and okay. 7-Eleven originated here in Dallas at the time they were all corporate so there weren't franchise okay. stores here um, and and she she worked there kind of worked her way up from like an assistant manager all the way to like a field consultant so she would be over a handful of 7-Elevens and whenever there was one that wasn't performing they'd bring her in. And so I grew up in that environment. I, I mean, when there was an inspection, all the kids came up, we'd take stuff off the shelves, we'd stock the vault, we'd sweep and mop. I mean, doing that just kind of grew up in there. And How old were you um, when you, you guys came to Dallas? Uh, well, I was, it was after two. So, okay. I mean, yeah, after two years old. Gotcha. And uh, my mom, I'll never forget this, as I got older... Um, whenever she would be working in a store and she's like, Hey, I'm moving stores. I'm like, Oh, why? She's like, Oh, this one over here is kind of, it's not performing well. And so, you know, this is before there was Starbucks. I mean, this is back then. 7-Eleven was a place where you got your coffee, you got your gas in the morning, you got it, you grabbed a donut. Like that was a breakfast place, right? One-stop shop. It was a one-stop shop. And when she would move, I'll never forget, like, her customers would move with her. Wow. That's a testament, right? Right. And so when that happened, I remember thinking, why are they following you? She's like, Oh, they're here to see me. Cause they, I know what, I know I what know kind them. of cigarettes they yeah, buy. Exactly. I know, I know the kind of coffee they like. They, they want me to have this on the fountain machine. Yeah. And so that really had a huge impression on me to understand, like that's the kind of impact you can have on people, even in a place that you wouldn't think 
a, an everyday Seven yeah. Eleven. And that's that's so powerful that that you can become a, you can become a part of somebody's routine. I think if you can get to that point where you become habitual for somebody, where they need you to start their day because of the relationship, or they're even willing to drive another three or four miles out of their way to get that daily dose of you, not just what you're giving them, but that relationship. That's Absolutely. so powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that had a huge impression on me, and I think that really shaped shaped kind of what we do here at Fat Straws. And I, uh, I will say this though, I, having worked there all through my childhood, that was my, I worked there when I was 15 years old, um, left when I was 20. So I had a badge that said serving you for over five years. Uh, <laughs> and it was kind of crazy. It was like a little kid with, with a badge like that. I swore that I would never come back to retail you so know, much for that. <laughs> and, and here I am, you know. Before we move away from this part of your life, I really want you to paint that picture of how your mom engaged customers. Reflecting back, watching her, I'm sure you've seen her do it hundreds or thousands of times. How did she handle those relationships? Paint that picture of that that engagement she had. Yeah, I think, um, uh, you know, I, I, I think Danny Meyer, like, sums it up really well, like, services the technical delivery of what you do right that that'd be like greeting someone when they come in performing their transaction properly saying bye making sure the store is clean right mm-hmm. and then hospitality is about how you make people feel soul right and that's what i think she did like she knew them not just like knew their name like she knew them she knew their kids and she engaged with them and she was part of their lives you know, people would give her Christmas gifts. Mm. Like, I don't know the last time you gave your Starbucks barista a Christmas gift or... Never. Right? And so people <laughs> pe- pe- people knew that. She, and so part of it was just like, it was it was relational. It was community. It was family. Mm. And it wasn't it wasn't transactional. Right? Me, give me an example of something that she did that really just stands out as far as like what length or what degree she was willing to go to to make it personal, to make it hospitality. hospitality. You know, I, I mean, I would say like the first place I really saw was with her team. Okay. Right? And in, in kind of this hourly wage type of role where people are very transient, she had people with her for, for well over 10 years. And so when people were having challenges, she would help them. Like, hey, let me go help this person go get a car. Let me, let me help them figure mm. out how they're going to do this. Hey, let me... This person's kind of, kind of going through a rough time. Let me go and like actually like provide dinner for them. Why is that so powerful? Yeah, I think uh, you know, it's really about showing people that you care, mm. right? And and I think you know, there's a saying that I, I, I subscribe to is like, I think we all want to be known, deeply known, but we're afraid to be known because we think if you really know who I am, that you won't love me. And so she was really great at just like loving on people. Yeah. Right. And that's what I think. Don't wait for the invitation. Right. That's right. Yeah. I I think that's what people were drawn to. And like you're saying, sharing some of these things like your mother would help uh, cover the expense of a car or whatever it is. uh, Maybe it's maintenance or whatever. At the end of the day, like we need security. We need to know that we're secure, that our lives are being taken care of. And that's what the paycheck does. Mm -hmm. Right. That it covers our securities are are the most basic needs. But at the end of the day, we we need way more than that to really show up. We need those security to be covered right so if you can help your people cover those those things that help you feel secure then you can show up to work in a much better mindset yeah right? and that's just so powerful and then from there you can focus on so much more um do you want to reflect on that yeah no and i and i think the thing is that she she also challenged them mm. so maybe a lot of these people weren't challenged or they didn't have structure or they didn't maybe have 
discipline required of them. I mean, she was she was tough. She yeah. wasn't just all the warm fuzzies. She pushed people. She she but she could see more in like more in someone than they could see in themselves mm-hmm. and help them kind of like see their own potential. Yeah. Get cover that delta. And that's like, so important. I, we don't know because we're so close to who we are. It's in the 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 example I use a lot is like when you're on the island of Manhattan, you don't know you're on an island. Right. Until you get away from it. You that's can right. see you're you're on an island. We're so close to who we are, we don't always know what we're good at because it's relative to our perspective. But until somebody else sees what we're doing relative to other people doing it they go wow like you're really good at this like we need that to, we need that reinforcement to help us find our path to find mm-hmm. out what we're good at what we're bad at and we don't know our own potential until somebody points it out for sure uh, it's so powerful um anything else during this come up of uh, this experience uh, work, working at 7-eleven with your mom any key lessons anything that you think set you up for success in life yeah again i think it's what is the recipe of what makes people feel something and so it's it's like the if you think about it, it's such a sensory experience when you walk into a store, right? You get impressions. Like literally, I always one of the things I do when, when we bring new team members on is I'll I'll take them on a tour and go through other businesses, and I'll tell them, and this is something I learned from mom. Like you walk up, it's like, what does the parking lot look like? Is there a bunch of fingerprints on the door? When you walk in, what do you smell? What do you hear? Like, does someone greet you? And do they really greet you? Do they look you in the eye and greet you? Or is it just transactional? Hey, welcome in. How you doing? Or it's like, hey, what's up, man? Or, hey, how you doing? Or like, hey, Eric, what's going on? <laughs> right? And like, that just changes the way you feel. And then you, when you walk up and you're like, hey, you want to get some coffee? Or like, you know, you're going to get, you, hey, I got, we just got some fresh donuts over here. Or hey, you want to get a hot dog today? And like, just seeing how she would make people feel coming in. And then when you leave you knew she made their day just like a little bit better. Yeah. So we started this by saying the equation to making people say that one more time. Yeah. Hospitality is really about how you make people feel. I love it. Right. Awesome stuff, man. Um, so you got into it, right? That was, (laughs) you went from seven 11 to it. Uh, is it worth hovering over this portion of your life? Yeah. I I would say the one thing, uh, and why that shaped, if you remember, I said, I'm never going to come back to this kind of retail yeah. world. I'm going to get a proper corporate job. And, you know, I, I did that and I, I really enjoyed it. I think one of the things I learned, there's, there's a short stint when I was doing help desk work. Okay. And so what I think I really learned from that was a couple of things. One is like how to communicate mm-hmm. and how do you problem solve when you can't actually see something. Mm-hmm. Right. And so trying to get someone to, Hey, how do you reboot your computer how do you troubleshoot something and get them to do it when they can't see when you can't okay. see it? Um, but I also the thing that I think on the negative side, I had some really amazing bosses and I had some not so amazing bosses. And I think what I learned from that was there are people I knew who genuinely cared about me, not just what could I do for them, but what they genuinely cared about like my growth. And there's other people who didn't. And and those people who did that made me. I mean, again. It, makes you feel something. Yeah. And that stuck with me. And so after having experienced people who didn't, that, that kind of was the impetus for me actually leaving IT. It's like, hey, I want to go and create something. I want to create a place where nobody ever feels that way. I love it, man. Uh, so let's, let's unpackage this a little more. You said you learned how to communicate. You also learned how to solve problems. So what, how were you communicating before and how did this help you change your communication, this experience? It taught me, I think, to listen mm. more carefully. Um, I like to talk. <laughs> so, yeah, I feel that. Like, ha- that's why I started a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but but really trying to listen to people, mm-hmm. and and then 
learning to read between the lines a little bit. Yeah. So what someone's telling you, is that actually what's happening? Right. So having to kind of, how do you navigate that and unpack that? Yeah. That it, was really it. So it taught me to be a little bit more patient. Yeah. Like how do I, how do I figure this out and, and, and really solve problems. And so that, that's really carried me forward. It's like, Oh, we can do this. I know how to do this. Like we can get through this. And I think it was a challenge a lot of times just because you can't see what's going on. And so you're, you're relying on just your verbal communication. Um, and then how do you solve these problems and for people? But I mean, I think that was the biggest lesson for me in IT and then just understanding what good company culture is. So were you like the, the bad the, company? Were culture. you like the tech guy that came and like tell the guy to move out of the way and fix his computer? Is that <laughs> what you were doing? Like the SNL skit uh, <laughs> move? Yeah. So uh, I in college I, I I got to go and work for IBM okay. out in Washington D.C., which is like an amazing experience for me. Okay. Uh, had some great mentors there. People really took me under their wing. Kind of taught me just what. So you kind of give you context. This is. Uh, mid mid nineties, the internet is just like yeah. coming online. Yeah. AOL is just kind of coming on. The bank that we were servicing like didn't have online banking. It was they just got a website. Okay, right. And so I kind of came in at a really interesting time, and and that was some really great experience. And then when I came back to Dallas, I got an internship at uh, the Dallas Morning News. Okay, for a summer, and they actually pulled me in and wanted to hire me and I stayed on full time after that. And so, uh, so you're basically helping companies at this point transition to more of a tech. Yeah, totally. And and, you know, so think about it at the time is the the morning news is figuring out they have this cash cow in a newspaper, all advertising. And then now they're effectively giving the paper away for free online. Yeah. How do you generate revenue from this thing? And so it was, it was a fun, exciting time because there's all these companies that were reporting, uh, like reaching out to Dallas morning news with like, Hey, we've had these ideas. So then I got to kind of work for this incubator group called Beeler Interactive. So Beeler okay. is the, the main corporation. And so we got to see some like precursors to social media and like, yeah. you know, people are trying to say, hey, we've got cameras. We can see what traffic is coming down. So if you're leaving work, you can get online and see what the traffic is. This is in the 90s. So it was like some pretty cool stuff. Well, I'm stuff. just curious about this because I figure like in that, that world of IT where there where I, like technology in general in the 90s, the mid to late 90s is just so foreign to so many people. Like you have to be able to listen to what their pain points are. You have to understand before you can help. And I just want to kind of paint that picture for the listeners. Um, what about problem solving? What what did you learn about problem solving? You said that's the other thing that you, you learned. Yeah, I think... Uh Maybe before that, also, when you're going out on calls, I think I had to learn the communication piece was like almost like bedside manner, mm. right? So, and, and that leads into the problem solving. Yeah. It's like walking up, <laughs> someone's like super stressed out. By they the time they're a, calling you, they're already right? really pissed. Like they're they, pissed. Yeah. They have a deadline yeah. and like having to, this is kind of the, how do I walk in a situation and not take it personal? Mm. And how do I have empathy, mm. right? That was a big thing. Like this person's really frustrated. They're trying to do their work. They're not technical. Yeah. They're looking to me to help the solve The world's this changing around them. They can't do anything about it. They can't it. do it. Yeah. And, and they have a deadline or they're not able to do their work and, and that's what they're paid to do. So how do you defuse these people? <laughs> what was your approach? Again, listening, smiling, yeah. um, and, and knowing, like l- trying to figure out like what's really going on. Yeah. And then having empathy. Say, like, man, I'm really sorry. Like understand like what's going on. Like yeah. I'm here to... I'm here to help you. As I'm soon as people know that you're on the, that you're on their, their team, side. like it changes instantly. And I think being mindful and self-aware of the energy that you're the energy that is reacting to them, like are you reacting to them in a negative way? 
Are you letting their negative, their, their negativity influence you? Totally. Or are you letting your positivity influence them? Yeah. And you got to be, and it's going to go one way or the other. And it's whoever is more of the thing, whether it's positive or negative, is going to win the fight. So you got to mm-hmm. go into that mentality knowing that like you have to overpower their negativity with your positivity. Yeah. In a strange way, like I was learning hospitality. Yeah. You walk up, you see like, how's this person feeling? What kind of energy are they giving up? Are they frustrated? Are they, are they just laughing about it? Are they like angry? And so how do we go and diffuse it and like try to understand, kind of understand where they're at and then walk them through like how you're going to help them. Beautiful. And then, I mean, that's just like a, that's the problem we're solving, yeah. right? Okay. We're gonna take our first break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to talk about why you transitioned out of IT and why T. I'm sure you felt it before, right? That pressure, that intense pressure to have your restaurant website on point. But you should have that pressure. You should feel this way because your restaurant website is so important. It is your first impression and it represents your entire brand. But here's the thing. You're not a web developer. You're a restaurant owner. So how can you be held to these standards? Well, with Bento Box, that's how. Bento Box empowers you to own your presence, profit, and guest relations, all with full support, integration, and analytics. And here's something that's really great about Bento Box is that it prioritizes website accessibility. So with Bento Box, you can get a certified accessible restaurant website that follows ADA guidelines and supports your business because this is how you show your people you care. Beyond that, Bento Box websites drive 70% more traffic. They see seven times more conversions and get five times return on investment. What else can I say? Well, how about over 5,000 restaurants in all 50 states and around the world are using this platform with its suite of tools. Head over to getbento.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you'll save 50% off your setup. Again, that's getbento, G-E-T-B-E-N-T-O.com slash unstoppable. Okay, we're back. And uh, why? what was going on in your life around the late 90s, early 2000s that made you make this transition from IT to T? Yeah, so a couple things. So when I was at Below, had a really amazing boss. And uh, he, he actually picked me to come over and work for that Below Interactive group. Uh, the day I showed up, there was a reorg, and he was no longer my boss. This oh. guy I looked up to, mentor, like big part of the reason why you're here. Totally. Right? Yeah. Uh, new boss didn't really care. He was like, whatever. Um, and it was just kind of, it, it, it was, I was so surprised at how impactful that was, how someone like that can have an impact just on my day. Like didn't want to like, didn't enjoy working for him. Um, he didn't care. He, he, he actually made life more difficult. Like w- part of the job was being like a tech support for this new group. Yeah. And each, each weekend or each week we had a cell phone that you just carried around. So they're working in the middle of the night, publishing stuff online. So, I mean, I'm getting calls at two or three in the morning and I just like, this is just, this is not what I signed. This <laughs> yeah. sucks. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I literally went in and, and I just said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to quit. Gambit my badge left. And then I went to go work for another company, work for pro systems, kind of same deal. Had a really amazing boss. He picked me. We started a new group, um, and then some things didn't work out, and then I had a, a new boss, and it was kind of the same deal. And it was in that moment I realized, man, like, you know, my future is really not in my own hands. Mm. I'm kind of at the mercy of, like, who my boss at the time. It's not necessarily what I know. It's who I know. And I, I just I, I had been married for six months. 
So this is 2001. We got married in November 2000, 2001, and six months later, we, we opened Fat Shroud. So uh, shortly after I got married, I, I, I came to my wife, and I said, you know, I mean, we've been grinding at this. I've been grinding this corporate thing, and I want to go do something on my own. I want to go, like, create something, and I know I'll be too gun-shy when we have kids yeah. and we have a mortgage, and, and like, if we fail now, big Easy deal. to recover. So... She was like, go for it. Yeah. I'll support you to go through it. So she was still working. And, you know, so then it was like, well, what are we going to do? <clears throat> and, and, and strangely, the thing I knew was, was retail. <laughs> and, and, and bubble tea was something like I didn't want to go into full restaurant. I used to work. I kind of want to tap the brakes right there. Okay. You, you shared some stuff that I want to pull back some layers. Okay. On. First, and it was so in between the lines. I don't even know if my listeners picked up on it. This first individual who had an impact on you. And there's a line that I heard like, along the lines of like, you can change the world. You can change the world and people like, no, I can't change the world. Who am I to to say I can change the world? But the thing is, if you can change the people that you uh, encounter every day and you can make them happy and you treat every relationship like that, then that compounds and you can change the world every day by just changing the mood of the people that surround you. And this first mentor that you had, right? He did that for you. I think that's living proof that like, if if you show up with a certain attitude with certain care about the people that are around you, you can change their lives. And I think that maybe if you didn't meet this person, you know, like, who, you know what I'm saying? Do you want to reflect? Are you picking up yeah, on Yeah, totally. No, I, I think someone like that can, you never know who has an impact on yeah. you in your life. Um, and it could be someone who yeah. works in a place like this. Yeah. It could be, you know, I always say like, we have a privilege. It's a privilege to be someone's first job. Because mm. I think we really shape their perception of like work. Like what a boss could be. Like that could be great. It could be terrible. Like what a team is, what culture is. And hopefully, if you do a great job of that, then they get a taste of like what it's like to be part of a great company and great culture. Yep. Right. On the flip side, if it's terrible, you you, you help someone understand like I never want to be a part of this again. Yep. And so um, his name was Don Livingston, and and over at at, at Belo, he he actually not only just um, wasn't it was beyond just the caring aspect, he helped see and make me realize like I could be better. Mm. Right. Like I could. He he was like, hey, I think you're amazing. Like, yeah. you could, <coughs> excuse me. You're fine. Like, I, I think you could. You're capable of more than you you realize. This, this is so powerful. And like, and if we come into that mindset every day, like when we feel like the world is out of control or the we don't have control of our situation, just remind yourself <clears> that you can change somebody's life by just caring about them in that moment, and like you can change the world. And like the mission statement of Restaurant Unstoppable to, to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Mm-hmm. If we transform the industry. By showing up like this every day, and therefore our people, therefore our employees, and changing them, we will change the world. I'm for sure. freaking confident about that. Sorry, not to digress too no, much. No, 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 it's, it's uh, significant. Yeah, <clears throat> and um, the other thing that I wanted to pull from what you shared with us is the low risk with not having a mortgage, not having kids. I think that's one thing that when people don't consider, we're, we're trying to grow a business. We're thinking about like getting money back, or like how are we going to bring money in, but we're not focused on like where the money is going out. And when we can start a business as little like with as little uh, liability as possible, that that takes so much stress off. Mm-hmm. Do you want to reflect on why that was a smart decision for you, not having a mortgage or kids when getting started? I don't know if I was if I stayed in the corporate world. I I can't sit here and tell you I I, I would be doing this mm. um, because it gave us the freedom to fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we had, you know, having kids, having a mortgage, I, I think, you know, 
we'd feel the pinch a little bit more and yeah. we'd be a lot less likely. And it, and it's harder. I think when, when we get set in our ways to pivot like that, some people can do it and I, it's amazing. But for some reason I just had this feeling like, man, if I, if I go down this road and I don't do something now, I don't know if this door is ever going to open up again for me. Yeah. Well, you gotta be a little <clears throat> selfish in the early days. Right. For and, sure. um, when you have other things like people and mortgages to take care of, like it's harder to be selfish. Uh, if that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, I would say the other thing too is you have your comfort, mm. which is to me oftentimes can be comfort is like a can be an enemy, mm-hmm. you know. And so when when we're young like that, I was still used to grinding and hustling and you know, I had time. Um I had a great support person, like Jennifer was amazing and she was just like go for it, we'll do this together. I mean, she was in it. It wasn't like that's fine, go go kind of here's your pet project. She was in it with nice. And I think that was actually really key is having a partner who's like in it with you. So how does she balance you? Like how, what, what was, what is it about your partnership uh, that works well? Uh, I would say first again, kind of going back to the kind of a theme of like, I think she, she's not someone who nags, which I love. She's somebody who always saw the best version of me. And it was like, you treat someone like how you see them or who they could be instead of like who they were. And then that elevates me to be want to aspire to be better. Mm. Right. And so there's a consummate encourager support person. Um, I talk too much. She listens really well. (laughs) Um, I'm scattered. She's very focused. Mm. Uh, I have lots of ideas. She's the one who can tell me like, you know, which only, one's good. <laughs> only one of them's good. And the yeah. other 99 need to go in the trash. I got you. Yeah. So why tea? <clears throat> what was going through your mind? Why did you know tea was going to work and specifically bubble tea? <laughs> well, you know, the, I, I, I was in the restaurant industry kind of through college. I'd worked in every role, bus boy, food runner. I worked in the line. I was a waiter, kind of did everything. And, I knew the the complexities of running a full scale restaurant. Um, I also knew that like it was something I could do, but really there was a moment, there was a bubble tea shop I was sitting in um, a few years before uh, we had gotten married. I remember sitting in there and it was dirty. The service sucked. Um, It was crowded. The product was great. Um, the menu was confusing. So the experience was terrible. Right. And I remember thinking to myself, gosh, this place is like really busy. Like we could do this. We could do this so much better. Like we could really like put our twist on it and really nail it. And, and so it was a fairly lower barrier to entry thing. Like there weren't established bubble tea franchises. It wasn't like I'm going to go and like get a franchise. So we got to be able to create something like out of the dirt. Yeah. And and that was like really appealing to me. And there's a lot of power and this something that comes up a lot and it's a trend that I've definitely picked on picked up on interviewing so many successful restaurateurs is that when when you do something and you're the first to do it, you're automatically the best at it. So when you go someplace, you're instantly the you know, if you go you came to DSW, right? Dallas Fort Worth area, uh there weren't many bubble tea if any, right? There's like a, a handful and they were and they were all Some of them were just restaurants that happened to carry it as a, yeah. a, a, a you know, so, side product. So if you come into a market and you want to focus on one thing, right, and that isn't being done, you're instantly number one. And there's a lot of power in being the best at something, sure. right? Do you want to reflect on that? Yeah, I think uh, the other thing that helped us kind of focus, like we knew 
we knew we wanted just to do bubble tea. Like a lot of uh, other kind of Taiwanese change at the time, like over in Asia, did food and did all these things. They're like we're just going to do this one thing and we're going to do it really, really, really well. Yeah. And that's what we focused on. Yes. And uh, uh, some, some of my mm-hmm. research, I saw that traditionally bubble tea has upwards of 100 or 150 different flavors, right? That's right. <laughs> so, so we pared the menu down. Um, we, we really like trying and tighten up the concept and we, again, we, we chose not to do food. And I think the risk for us was going in and having to educate. So we had this really great product we thought, but nobody knew about it. So it wasn't like we were selling burgers, right? Mm. We weren't selling hot dogs. We were selling something that a lot of people had never experienced. It's totally foreign. So that was probably the biggest hurdle on the front end was like getting to create this fun, unique experience. And that's kind of one of my big drivers is like, if you spend time with me, if I like experience something and I really get value out of it, I don't just want to keep it for myself. Like I'm going to say, we got to go check this place out. Or like, you've got to go eat this or you've got to try this. Cause like it gives me a ton of like just... I get a lot of joy out of that, like creating and sharing unique experiences. Yeah. And, that, and when you're truly passionate about it, like that energy is like so obvious. And like, you know what I mean? Like, and it comes out, you know, mm-hmm. when you're really passionate about it and you want to share something and like that goes into the experience. But so just to kind of summarize, um, the, the power of doing one thing really well. And yeah. when you can do one thing really, really well, you're going to be the best especially if it's not being done yet, you, you're going to be number one instantly. And then if you, if you narrow it down and ju- just do that one thing, you're going to, you, you put so much distance between you and everybody else, right? Because you're just For putting sure. all of your energy into doing that one thing really well, uh, which is what I'm hearing from you. And then the other thing that you, you brought to the service is just creating experiences. So I think we have to explain a little bit more about what bubble tea is to kind of paint that picture of Absolutely. why just, just in, Drinking it alone is a is an experience for somebody who's never had it before. For sure. So, like, what what exactly is um, the bubble tea? Like, what what is the the tapioca? Like, what's yeah. The story so, bubble tea originated in Taiwan uh, during the eighties, and so there's there's a bunch of different kind of renditions of a, of a story. But like, the story goes is effectively they there were a bunch of like tea stands. Taiwan's really hot in yeah. the summertime, so there, there's 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 a lot of tea stands, and all these vendors are competing for like kids after school money so they'd set them up outside the schools and what they would do is they would take tea and milk or tea and, sh- and, and juice and and to get everything to mix together they'd put in a cocktail shaker and they'd okay. shake it and because it's hot they'd serve it cold right so obviously like tea is the number one beverage uh, over there outside of water right and and so they were selling a lot of tea trying to get kids to drink it and so what one vendor did to differentiate himself is he got tapioca, which is a common staple in a lot of like desserts over there. So he would add tapioca to the bottom of the drink, and then he served it with this really fat straw. That's where we got our name. My wife came with that name, and it just completely you need the fat straw to get the big chunks. That's off, right. right. Yeah, and so it became this like really unique, textural, like visually appealing experience. It was like it just looked cool. Um, you know, there's lots of color in the drink yeah. and then there's a texture component to it. Exactly. Which is in itself the experience, That's right? That's the experience. So like, not, so like just, just trying the drink for the first time, you're creating an experience because it's so unique. It's so left field, right? Right. Especially to Western culture. And just a fun fact, I was researching uh, tapioca, um, it's tapioca, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, originated in Brazil. I didn't even like, it's crazy how like. You, we grow up, we have these perceptions of things coming from certain places. Right, you think right. Of tapioca, uh, tea coming from Asia, but it really came from Brazil. Same thing with potatoes. Like That's you always right. think potatoes, Ireland, right? right Growing right. up. And they're like, oh, no, that came from uh, Peru. You're like, yeah. this is crazy. Fun facts. Anyway, moving forward. Um, <laughs> so 
what else were you doing to elevate this experience in the early days? Yeah, so I mean, the thing is like, we're going to spend a lot of time obviously on the product and the way it looks, but branding was really important. But I think again, I go back to like how we make people feel. There's no substitute. Like if I go to a place, um, they can miss on like the interior. They can miss on, maybe even kind of miss on the product. Mm -hmm. But if they make me feel great, if the, if the hospitality, they're really serving hospitality, that's usually, I think is a, is a great recipe for success. And so what I, I thought back to like, what did my mom do? Right. Yeah. And like, what were those experiences? Yeah. And so we just got to know people. I love it. Right. And engage them. And a lot of people were like, Hey, like just be, I think being, um, transparent, kind of being vulnerable and saying, Hey, like, uh, how's this drink? Like, ah, it's, it's not great. Like, what would you do to make it better? Mm. So we actually, a lot of our drinks sometimes came from the feedback of our customers. Like, Hey, could you make this? This is awesome. We're well, just showing, like showing them that you care about their opinion and when you listen to them it makes them feel like they have an ownership over for it for sure because like now they influence the product and they're a part of it you know yeah. you're, you're making them a part of the process which is so powerful in itself yeah a funny story there's a there's a gentleman uh amor and he he came in and we were serving vietnamese iced coffee which is like really strong coffee sweetened with condensed milk he says hey can you make this like blended and so we made it and like he's like oh, that's pretty good and then he came back. He's like, "Hey, it's missing something," and so we threw some ice cream in there mm. to get it to like mix better. It wasn't so slushy; it was a little bit creamier. He's yeah. like, "This is it." Nice. And he always jokes. He's like, "The reason we have that on the menu is because he." <laughs> and so what was really cool is to see him come in with his his little girl, who's now you know married, right? Oh, that's crazy. But like, see her come in and like see them literally grow up before our eyes, which That's is always awesome. really cool. So what were the early days like? What were your biggest challenges opening a business? Like the, the <laughs> nuts and bolts of like, okay, like did you guys get a loan? Did you have money put away from your IT? I mean, little overhead because you're just doing tea. So what do you need for to create tea? Sure, great question. Hot water? So we, <laughs> we, we were really fortunate. Um, so we've, there was a location close to where we were living over in Plano. And... It was a smooth, there was a noodle shop next door called Noodles Avenue that we went to all the time. And we walked by next door and we saw, and it was like dark in there. And we were wondering, it was this place called Joanna Juice, right? It was like a smoothie bar. And we looked and it was like, I couldn't tell if it was going to open or had been shut down. So I called the landlord and was like, hey, what's going on with the space? We're like, oh, it's been dark for two years. I was like, huh? Like, if you, it's like, is it for lease? I said, you need to contact. Side owner. note, side note, Juana Juice is such a great name. For, <laughs> all I can think of is like, do you, do you want a juice? Yeah, it's yeah, called Juana Juice, I just right? Get over that. Keep going. Um, sorry. So then we we uh, ended up contacting them and said, yeah. So the guy had opened a couple, but he also owned a software company, and he was, it was taken off. And he just said, you know, uh, he had a Godart clause, so he shut it down. It was open for four months. He shut it down. He was just paying rent for two years. And no one had actively came in and, and, and tried to sublease. So it's like, can we sublease from you? So we went through the hoops and uh, they had everything. A, a, literally a completely furnished store. Blenders, cash registers, tables and chairs, shelving, turnkey. ice machines, turnkey. Yeah. I mean, literally everything in there. And, you know, I say ignorance is bliss. Like he, the, the, the owner said, hey, we want... 50,000 for all the equipment. Like if someone told me that today, I'd, I'd be all over it. And, but again, my ignorance and not because of my great negotiation skills, I just said, ah, it's like way too much. We'll give you like 5,000 bucks for it. <laughs> and we went back and forth and we got everything in there for nine grand. Wow. So he got a turnkey restaurant. Jeez. I mean, you know, it That's was a shell ludicrous. construction. He put probably close to 
back then probably like three or four hundred thousand dollars into building that restaurant. So that so what do we have to do? Coat of paint, clean it up, new sign, change the menu, and we were good to go. So I put in I put in thirty five thousand, and I did have a business partner at the time. I think he put in thirty five thousand, and that's Still, what we used to seed it to get try going. Try to do that today, seventy thousand dollars. Good luck. Impossible. <laughs> yeah, right. And this is early two thousand, so it wasn't like it was that long ago. That's right. Know? That's no. right. Yeah. In this century. So I mean, I, I don't think I'll ever come across a deal like that again. But it was it was incredible. Nice. I mean, and then we went in. We we're like, hey, look at this three door like reaching refrigerator. Like, what does this cost? So it's it was like six thousand dollars. What so, were your biggest challenges in the early days? Yeah. So the so in the beginning, um, I think I always tell the story. Like I got so excited about creating this whole thing, and it was a sprint to get it open. And then we got it open and then we were running it and then like probably like three weeks go by and I realized, wait a minute, I've got to run this thing like every single day. So in the beginning, honestly, the challenge was the limitation of my thinking, Mm. which was like I had to do everything. I had to make sure all the drinks were right. I had to make sure every customer was being, you know, handled properly. And so I worked there all day from, you know, seven thirty eight o'clock till 11 at night all day, every day. Uh, and then I knew probably a few months into it, there was a problem, which was I got really excited when I got to go to Costco to pick up supplies. Cause that was the one time I got to leave the store. Okay. Right. And so like, I, I it was just like real, this realization of like, Hey, it was fun to create this thing, but just being there all day, every day and trying to like put the whole restaurant on my shoulders was unsustainable. Right. And so, after that, I realized, like, I think we need to hire some employees. Okay, so you're the only one here. You it's me, um, my, my, my business partner worked, like, we. if I was working, he wasn't. And if he was working, I wasn't. Okay. And then, um, but but in the beginning, because he kept his job, I was working the whole time. So was he, like, a more of a financial partner? Sure, yeah. Okay. And, and he would just kind of work on the weekends. Um, you know, I quit my job. I went all in on this. Yeah. And then I had a buddy who was helping me out. So he was with me pretty much all day, every day, just the two of us. And so eventually we started hiring some kids uh, and we had a few kids working for us. And I'll never forget this day because it had, again, just like, like see as clear as clear as day. I'm working super frustrated because like they're not helping. They're kind of just standing around and didn't really say anything. And then the kid comes over to me. His name's Andy. He's like, hey, like you look really like frustrated. Like, can we help you? I was like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, why don't you, why aren't you guys helping me? Like I'm busting my butt over here we're looking for a direction and he said (laughs) he's like we want to just tell us what to do yeah right and like it was in that moment because the way i kind of grew up and was wired is like i go into situations see what needs to be done and just step up and do it Mm -hmm. right and without being told given a lot of direction these kids were hungry to work but they needed direction it was in that moment i was like i haven't trained you yeah i haven't created a a, a team you know employee manual like so that's me on the course like, oh, I've got to actually properly train these kids. So what did that look like? What, where did you go to learn how to train? Did you even know how to train people? Like, did you know what you needed to do to get them to the place where they could do their job? Yeah, candidly. I mean, I looked at other like company restaurant employee manuals and kind of saw how they were broken find down. These? Did you ask for them or did you steal them? Or like- <laughs> I got access from other, you know, other kids like, hey, here's a Boston Market one or here's one from, you know, uh, I forget what other companies there were, but we, we, we looked through them. Um, I don't know if we could find them online back then, but then it was like, started thinking through like logically, like how would we put this together? What do they need to know? Well, they need to know a little bit about who we are. Mm-hmm. They need to know about like what our core values are. Mm-hmm. They need to know, you know, 
then it's like more kind of the legal stuff. Well, harassment and workplace diversity and all that stuff. And then we got into creating a handbook, which is kind of covered policy and procedure. What I do if I'm late. And then it was like training. Like how do we train people how to do recipes? And so I just kind of thought through, I honestly, me and actually another person who works here, Alana, she, she kind of put it together and we went with it and we've been refining it honestly ever since beautiful and now today um you can go to restaurantowner.com and get all that stuff it's a great that's resource right. yeah <laughs> I know. So, uh i'll be sure to link to that in the show notes it's templates of everything you need operations manuals checklists it's a great resource we we we, we i remember signing up for them probably like five years into it yeah and like looking at the, like oh this is really great stuff. yeah because yeah. i mean you don't have to reinvent the wheel like that's right you can take these systems that have been created and just plug them into your mm-hmm. business um so Okay, going from there, like, what did the, how did that start to change your business once you started empowering your people? Um, any any like tricks of the trade that you can share with us on making that transition to working in the business to on the business? I think it well, you know, I think it took a while for me um, in that regard because I tend to wanted to hold the reins a little too tightly, and I think it was two thousand seven. Uh, our tea supplier. I, and I think I did that even into the second store. Um, I, I, we had kind of built the team and I had a general manager and I was able to kind of step out more. Yeah. But even going in, when I opened the second location, it was the same thing. I was in it all day and, and that's kind of how I associated like, this is how it's going to be. You open one, you go full on, full tilt for about a year and then slowly you can start to win yourself off. Um, and then our tea supplier... Um, this company called Art of Tea, uh, a buddy of mine who owned it, he said, you know, you should go check out this this peer group for entrepreneurs called EO. Okay. Entrepreneurs Organization. Yep. And that really, like, changed my thinking. How? What was the biggest way this group changed your thinking? So the first thing is, one, I think entrepreneurial journey is very lonely. Mm-hmm. Right? And and Lonely at the top. Lonely at the top. And I, and I think hanging out with all my kind of corporate nine to five buddies, they just didn't understand. They didn't understand like sweat and payroll. They didn't understand like having to, like you don't, even though you're not working, your brain doesn't stop. You're always thinking about work. Uh, and especially being in retail, it's like, it's seven days a week, right? And it's, it's morning yeah. till night. It's all day, every day. Um, and so joining this peer group, you sit around with people and you get to realize like, oh man, these, these. Was this in person? Yeah, okay. so so the the, the organization is really about you know, um, you know, getting entrepreneurs together. You create this like peer group, and where it's you get to share, learn, and grow together. Yeah, and and I think the key to it though is showing up again. I talk about being known, but being afraid to be known because you don't think you'll be loved. Yeah, and so one of the first things we do is we all go and kind of tell our life story. We do what we call a lifeline: the highs of highs, the lows of lows. And once everyone kind of shares, you realize, oh, man, everyone's been through mm-hmm. a lot of stuff, right? And then that kind of puts our guards down. And then when we get together and we meet each month, we talk about real stuff, right? So sometimes there might be stuff that I'm stressed out about that I, I may not want to tell Jennifer because I don't want her to worry. Or yeah. I, don't, I can't talk to my buddy who runs a, you know, who has a nine-to-five job. Yeah. I can't relate. Yeah. And so these, th- this group is really like someone that, one, I can be who I am. Yep. They get what I'm going through. Maybe they've gone through it. And then the key is they, we can't give advice. This is a really interesting concept. You can't give advice. You can only share experience. So each time we meet, we do these presentations and I say, Hey, I'm having this big challenge with 
example, I'm having a challenge with like a team member, like a manager or something. Yeah. And so after I've kind of given them facts, they can ask some questions and then everyone goes around and has a few minutes and all they can do is share their experience. They can only speak from like, I've done this instead of you need to do this. Cause oftentimes giving advice is about me thinking what's best for you. Right. And, and it comes from a good place, but it's generally like, cause I think what's, I know what's best for you versus you're around a table of like six or seven other people who share their experience you feel connected and then you can synthesize your own solution from that yeah. without being directed on and no what to two do. situations are exactly the same. Totally. So you might have to take a mix of like the five different scenarios that other people did that worked for them and make it your own by like, you know, uh, taking a little bit of their experience, taking a little bit of their experience and a little of her experience and a little of his and making your own That's solution. Right. Uh, cause not like it's, it's not black and white. It's one thing I've learned. The more I learn, the more I realize I don't know anything. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And the benefit too, is it's not just the person presenting its value. Something that some, like if, if you're presenting and I'm in the room, something that someone else says, that's my takeaway. It's like, yeah. man, I never thought yeah. about it the way you thought about it. So everyone gets value out of it. Right. Yeah. And so the, going back to like the, the this peer group, where it, it, it made me start to, cre- one, create space to say, hey, I need to spend time thinking about the business, not just doing all the time. Like, what do I want? Like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Like, contemplating these things. What kind of culture do I want to create? Like, what's the, is there an end game? Is, like, is there, like, build it up to a point and sell it or, like, in this for the long haul? So yeah. it's, it was less about the advice and more about, what questions should I be asking myself and creating space to think about it? You don't it. know until you know. You don't know. Yeah. Um, and then having a peer group to bounce a lot of these ideas yeah. off of. And just something real quick for anybody who's listening to this, like you can go out there and like the restaurant industry is very unique. It's very specific. You can go into your community, find other business people in your community that you admire, that you think they're running a good business and just be like, Hey, like this is where I'm at. Um, maybe you feel the same way. Do you want to get together once a month? Uh, and have a couple beers or maybe totally. for coffee or whatever and just like lean on each other like you there's nothing stopping you guys who are listening to this to go out there and to start your own little peer group um some people call them masterminds i host an, a monthly mastermind where it's four people that we just get together we, we meet over skype it doesn't have to be in your community it can be anywhere you know um but it's so powerful um so just do, what are you waiting for i guess is what i'm saying go out there and start your own group if you if you feel like this will help you um go yeah, start I'm, it. i mean so even eo is a global organization over yeah. fourteen thousand members and each most major cities have a chapter so i have a local forum yeah we meet monthly i'm also in a virtual forum that's industry specific nice. so it's all restaurateurs from, i'll link to that in the show yeah. yeah so it's super cool cool like, yeah. yeah thank you for sharing um so uh okay you narrow your uh, success down to a few things. I think we should just bring those straight to the surface and maybe we can dissect them uh, if you'd like. So you, you survived the 2008 recession, right? <laughs> tough year. 2009 was probably a tough year. And you attribute that to quality control, uh, outstanding service, community-based marketing, and an emphasis on strong relationships. So what did you mean by quality control? How, did you, how were you leaning on quality control to survive this recession? Yeah, I think in that time, and again, it was something that I learned through another person in EO. He was sharing about a bakery over in California, and the recession hits, and what everyone was doing is they were cutting food costs. Let me use cheaper butter. Let mm-hmm. me use the lower quality grade cheese. And, and he said, but what this company did in, in turn was like, no, we're going to continue to provide quality. We're going to continue to, you know, this is what gave us success instead of just 
it being about numbers. Um, and then I, I really took that to heart. And so one of the things we really focused on was like, Hey, when, when, when a customer that I used to see three times a week is now only coming every other week because they lost their job. Like we got to make sure that because they're, they're carving out, you know, time and budget to like spend money with us. Like it's gotta be an incredible the best experience. It's yeah. gotta be great. Like yeah. we can't, we can't cheapen it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's something we really focused on is like making sure the quality was always there making sure. And it's not just the product, but just the whole experience. Yeah. Like we, I, I mean, I, I remember, I still never forget like when it was like in the height of recession, having kind of this all hands meeting is like, guys, like now more than ever, we've got to like really dig in and like provide world-class hospitality because people like the, the resources aren't there. They, and if they're coming on, you know, there's so many other places they can go. And if they're limited on where they're going to go and they choose us, we got to make sure it's yeah. like, it's special. And just a side note, we don't need to wait for a recession to start doing this. Right? No. And, no. A, and like that mentality of doing what you do even better. Um, Kaizen, is that the, I know yeah. you're a fan of the Toyota. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's the CEO's name? You know, the founder. Uh, you mentioned his name earlier. Uh, oh, just, the five layers of why. Yeah. Right? Um, but anyway, back to Kaizen is that mentality of constant improvement, right? And that's what quality control is. It's, it's looking at what you have and how can you make it better, right? Mm-hmm. And it's always trying to improve. Um, and like I said, you don't have to wait for a recession to start doing this. Like mm-hmm. Start doing this now, right? Yeah. Um, so what things do we need to consider when we're trying to make these little tweaks to constantly improve? Yeah, and, and I think, um, you know, another part of like quality control uh or let me let me back up i think another part of like what enables us to have success during that time was i also realized i can't just sit in the store waiting for people to come i need to go out right and it's about relationships it's about connecting with people and so i had this moment like i need to get out and so what i started doing i literally would just go out I'd go to office buildings, introduce myself, give out free drink cards. Guerrilla marketing. Guerrilla, yeah. I, that's what I did. Just invite people to come in. And we saw that really bear fruit. Especially when you're something that people just don't – like nobody's going to be like, I'm really in the mood for uh, – what's the, the technical term for the tea again? Bubble tea? Like people don't know what bubble tea is. That's right. So like they're not going to have a hankering for it. Like You have to introduce it to them. They have, right. you have to put it on their radar. So or we'd have to bring it to them. Yeah. Because – even trying to explain it, it's something you have to experience. Yeah. And there's no substitute for, you know, letting someone see it, taste it, and experience it versus giving someone a card, right? I love it. One other thing that's coming to my mind that you mentioned earlier is when you're training somebody, you bring them to other places. And I think when it comes to quality control, we need to paint that picture of perfection. And sometimes we need to put that picture of perfection up against something that's not perfect Mm -hmm. so you can see the difference so you can see the importance of the value do you want to reflect on that yeah so the quality control piece one way we we've got standards for that but one of the things we do to measure it is we do we implemented mystery shopping Mm. and so the mystery shop is curated on because because we can obviously measure food costs we can measure sales we can measure labor but how do you measure like how you execute on the experience day in and day out yeah the only way you could do that is like having you know a mystery shopper come in and so we created this questionnaire that basically said okay once you come in like it's 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 this i always say it's all the experience like what do you see is it clean what do you hear is there music what do you smell the right? music's off right now because right. we're recording the podcast. <laughs> and uh, then what do you, you know does and then it says when you approach did someone greet you right did they make eye contact right and and so it so you wor- set the standards. Yeah, or was it just kind of generic? And so 
that way, once we've created this process, right, then you can train that. So you're creating a vision of what the perfect experience is. Correct. And you're listing the most important things. And like that's what you're basing this off of. Right. And that's then we, we, we model it. And then we also practice it. So during the training, we'll do mock. I'll walk in like, hey. Like it's about how do we actually engage in conversation so it's not transactional. Awesome. Because it could be, hey, how you doing? Regular or large? Do you yeah. want bubbles? Yeah. Okay, it'll be ready in a second. Yeah. That's just transactional. I love it. So I think we covered um, the quality control pretty good, unless there's anything you want to add to that. Yeah. Okay, so outstanding service. I think we've talked about this a lot already, but why don't you paint that picture of what you do in your business to make sure outstanding service happens? How do you cement that into your culture? I think it's got to be... You have to process engineer it. It's got to be part of it. But I think, you have, like I said, you've got to model it and you've got to practice it. Um, and again, service service is the technical delivery. It's about the hospitality. Mm-hmm. It's about how you make people feel. And so how do we make sure when we engage with people that it goes beyond the transactional aspect of someone coming in? So how are you making sure, like, I mean, you can't put people into that hospitality mode. Like, you know, like, like they, they either... Some people people argue you either have it or you don't, but how are you making sure that your employees or frontline employees Great are question. are showing up with hospitality? Yeah. So once we really spent time as a team discovering what our core values were, rather than just like these are our core values, integrity, and because we saw in Boston Market, that's right. Employment. And we put them we put them on the wall, right? <laughs> we we really like it was a really cool exercise. We went through and said, okay, if like we were going to go and expand in like world domination, like. And you, who are like some key team members that you would would want your to avatar. be, right? Yeah. Who would you want it to be on your team? And then we went through and we wrote down all their traits and mm. all their qualities. And then we circled like what was in common. And then from that, we realized like three things for us. It's about building community, mm-hmm. which is really about, um, you know, fostering relationships and deep personal connections, serving others, right? And so, and I talk about serving others is not just your customers, but serving your team. And then taking ownership, which we talk about being a steward. Like ownership is owning it, like owning, owning, owning your wins and owning your mistakes and treating like the company, like resources as you would, you know, being a steward of it. Um, and so part of our interview process is filtering for that. Mm. We ask questions that try and flesh out. Is this person like passionate about building community, serving others, taking ownership? How do, what questions are you asking to get after that? Well, we, I, we, the, the, the interview process, we asked really three questions like, I ask them, one, how do they define community? I want to see if they even understand what it means. And then like, okay, give me examples of like how this is important. Why is this important in your life? Right? Give me some examples of like, what, do you, what, is it, what does it mean to you to serve others? Because, you know, what we want to filter is everyone going into interviews is going to try and put their best foot forward. Yeah. And like, I usually start every interview with like, look, I know that's what you're trying to do. But like for me to want to hire you and for us to work together, I really need to know who you are. Mm. Right? I know we're, we're all flawed. No one's perfect. So don't try and sell me your best version of yourself. I just want you to be real. Mm-hmm. And if there's that connection and we see that there's those core values and we like how they answer those questions, then we start going through more some of the technical stuff. Okay. So I'm curious. Like you said that it's about relationships. It's about deep personal connections. Paint that picture. Well, what is a deep personal connection? I say it starts with our team first. Yep. So if you walk into a place... You can usually tell if the team really gels, if they really enjoy each other, they're having fun. And I think people, that's infectious. You get swept up in that. Yeah. And so first, we've got to do a good job of like taking care of our team. And then when customers come in, it's 
the engagement. It's like trying to get to know their name, trying to like figure out and ask them questions, right? Hey, what's going on today? Oh, are you coming from you coming from school? Or like, oh, you're heading back to work. And over time, we get to really know people. And what we find is when we when we share our lives with people first, that creates an opportunity for them to want to share with us. So you got to open up first. You got to open absolutely. The door. Yeah. The, I mean, we've got to be willing to be vulnerable. Yeah. With our stuff and talk about our stuff, and I think that's what invites others to. To participate in that conversation with us. I love it. You can tell these guys just opened at like 15 minutes ago. We got the, the buggers going. It's getting busy. I love it. Uh, it's, 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 there's nothing better about than being on site. Uh, that's for sure. So um, so we have two other bullets I want to hit before we start to, to wrap up the free-flowing portion of the yeah. conversation. Community-based marketing, right? And then the other one is uh, I think we, we might be able to pass over the relationships. I think we kind of yeah. hit that pretty good. But what, what do you mean by community-based marketing? Yeah, so one of the things we do, kind of part of that gorilla piece, yeah. is like getting out, making ourselves known, um, sharing our product, sharing the experience with people. Um, we go to schools, you know. I want to meet. We want to be meeting with principals, PTA presidents, coaches, Why band directors. That's a big market for us. Is is like kids yeah. and families. Yep. And so we really kind of start with elementary school, middle school, and high schools, and really build those relationships. Um, corporate caterings too is like going into businesses and like how do we hit the easy button so it's a really a partnership it's it's advocacy it's not just like hey we can sell you stuff it's like how do we help each other and be part of each other and so like one of the things that i got really clear on um what makes this location really unique and talk about community um if i thought if really what's the fullest expression of like living out that core value would be to have the community that we serve actually own equity in the store okay so what we did was um when we were getting ready to build this i really sought investment from the neighborhood the local neighborhood and i got this idea from another restaurant in our neighborhood and some some guys that i know that run it and they said it's been great because you know one it's not a huge investment they're not dumping in like tons and tons of money but it's an you you make these smaller like ten thousand dollar units where people can invest in but then it's fun they get to be a part of it. They get to support it. Ownership. And we want we want their kids to work here. Yeah. We want to like, hey, you've got parties. We want to be part of all this for you mm-hmm. guys. And so that was like a really full expression of like building community is to have people actually like take ownership in it. So I'm curious, when you're going to find these people um, to, to bring into your community, are you going into people... Are you, are you searching for people that might be like you in the sense of the same culture, that Absolutely. same desire? Core for, values. Yes. We've got to be aligned. When I say values. culture, I mean even further, like um, they might come from... Easter, like Asian descent, then they they want this thing that they that relates to them um, in their life. They want to be a part of it because they're prideful of it too. Is that are you going after? Yeah, I mean, not so much. I mean, I think it's really more just whether their core values align. Honestly, okay. like but, if they if they believe in the three things that. that we do, that's really important. Nice. That nice. that's kind of the key alignment for us. Terry, I'm loving this conversation. We've covered a lot, um, but we haven't even talked about you opening the two other locations. Uh, I don't think we need to necessarily dissect that hugely, <laughs> but is there anything that you were hoping we would discuss or anything that you think is val- of, of value, something that you can bring to the table that's unique to your knowledge and your experience before we go to the speed round? Yeah, you know, and I think it, going back to like the, just the, the bumpy road of like entrepreneurship and, 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 and trying to grow and scale a restaurant, um, you know, it wasn't always, we, we, we did have growth, but it, there are a lot of other things like pretty, pretty tough situations that we had to go through. Um, specifically when we opened the second location, 
Um, we actually were going to open two locations at the same time. Uh, construction costs went way over budget. I actually had two leases signed. Wow. So we built one restaurant and had one that sat there. Oof. And, you know, uh, I, I was pretty much screwed. I, I mean, they could have just come after me and it would have taken the whole thing down. But one thing that, you know, I kind of relied on was just, I'm just going to be honest. I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and, you know, weasel my way out of this. So I went and I sat in front of the owner of this property and, and his whole team. And I told him exactly where we were at. I told him the truth. And I said, you know, I don't have the money to build out this third location. I know you have every legal right to come after me. And if you choose to do that, like, that's fine. I mean, we'll just do what we have to do. But this is a situation. Yeah. And, and, and it's not, I, I didn't plan on this. I wasn't trying to do this maliciously. It just is. And he sat there and sternly looked at me for, it felt like an eternity. <laughs> um, and he just said, there's no need to squeeze a dry lemon. Mm. And he tore up the lease. Wow. You know, there, there's something <laughs> to be said about that. I think at the end of the day, people are good, right? We we want to do the right thing. And usually when we do the, we get angry or pissed off, right? It's because we can tell the other person's not doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And we want to retaliate because mm-hmm. we're not being taken care of. So if you take the approach that you took where you said, I'm wrong, I screwed up. I'm at blame. Like, this is all me. Like I'm taking complete ownership, like taking ownership, <laughs> one of your core values right. that defuses things when you own it. Um, people don't want when, like, when you're doing the right thing, people aren't going to come after you or there's some jerks out there that might still try to squeeze a, a dry lemon. Right. Sure, but at the end sure. of the day, like there's, there's just so much power in transparency and honesty and vulnerability when you own things like that. That's a huge lesson to take. And from I had no people. control in that situation. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I'll never forget. There's a moment like laying in bed. I was just thinking like tomorrow could be it. Yeah. You know, but yeah. And you've been in business now for almost 20 years, 18 years, uh, four locations. And I think a lot of people like they, they, when they think of growth, they think of outward growth. And I'm such a broken record right now. My listeners are supposed to be like, here he goes again. When they think of growth, they, they think of outward growth, but you clearly have that mentality of how, what can we like quality control, right? Instead of putting that energy out into becoming bigger, let's become better. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you become better, you attract onto yourself so much opportunity that what ends up happening as a result is outward growth. For sure. Um, and I think you see that cause you're at four locations, 18 years, and now you're looking to expand even more. Like what's your plan for the future? Yeah, we're still looking around DFW and really we're want to take this model of community community microfinance, community funded model yeah. moving forward. Yeah. Because I really believe that's what's exciting for me. It's I'd love to have a lot of locations, but honestly, like the thought of having a bunch of locations and, and, and making a lot of money, like I think everyone wants to do that, but that's not what drives me and motivates me. Um again, I go back to the relational piece. It's like I love the idea of like being in it together with a group of people. Yeah. And, and you and lose that when you scale. We do. And yeah. so how do we continue to do this, what we're doing here, and, and replicate that moving forward? I love it. Really, it's about scaling impact. Yeah. Right? So I have one question that is kind of like jabbing at me, and it's kind of has to do with markets, right? The ch- ever-changing market that we live in. Uh, straws are kind of controversial yeah, issue right now for sure how for sure. i mean for the past couple of years the bennett kind of forefront plastic in general is uh taking a lot of heat right now so we have a business that you know d- depends on straws um it's it's in the name right for and, sure and you, what are you doing to kind of combat that yeah we're looking at alternatives right now so there's uh, the paper ones are not super crazy about because they kind of lose their shape um there's some that are made out of bamboo mm-hmm. that we're entertaining some that are made out of like seaweed that it, 
So I think the big thing for us is if we're going to switch, it needs to be not only biodegradable, but it needs to be marine friendly. Mm -hmm. And there's not a ton of options for that right now. So it's just trying to find something that's going to fit. And and you don't have the traditional straw. So somebody's going to come up with a solution, but it might take an extra two years before they can manufacture that same material and give you the the wide option. Correct. So it's it's a a real challenge. Yeah. We've tested some paper ones, but... um, Again, I, I think we're looking for something that's going to be marine friendly, which I think is a little bit trickier. Yeah. Um, so if you guys know of any products out there, um, we'll give you uh, Terry's contact information <laughs> at the end. Uh, and um, what about business? Has business taken a hit because of this this kind of no? Uh, I mean, we stigma. We I mean, the thing is, as an alternative, we do sell metal reusable straws. Okay. Right. We sell reusable mason jars to serve our drinks in so interesting i was just so curious how yeah. you're handling that challenge i think that's also you know candidly I, I think based on where you're at i think if we were in california we'd probably feel a little bit more pressure than here yeah. in texas yeah uh, and so yeah it's just i think a lot of the where where you're geographically located can impact that, that makes sense um so one question i've been asking all my guests before we go to the speed round uh the mission statement i mentioned earlier is to inspire empower and transform the industry how have you transformed who is the terry today versus the terry back in 2002 when you're getting started oh man you know that's a great question that's a great question i would say one of the biggest things about me that's transformed is i realize that i don't have to do it all myself mm. um i realize that actually probably one of my you know challenges is like not asking for help uh, either out of pride, either out of like, hey, I've got to figure it out on my own. Uh, and so one of the things I, I think for me that's ch- changed and transformed is like how I approach challenges. And it's not to hide, hunker down and work harder. It's about being open with it, sharing it with more people, and then seeing how I can get through this with the support of others instead of having to do it on my own. Great stuff. Great conversation. One more quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to bust out. A true speed round. All right. Imagine if processing invoices was as easy as snapping a photo with your smartphone. Oh my gosh, that'd be nice. Well, with Margin Edge, it is that easy. You snap a photo of the invoice and Margin Edge takes it from there. Every line item and every handwritten note is captured. Margin Edge then integrates with your POS so each day you know everything you bought and everything you sold. With Margin Edge, you get a rolling P&L with drill down capabilities and it flows effortlessly to your accounting system of choice. That's pretty nice. So what does this mean to you? It means you can run your restaurant without the massive paperwork nightmare. It means getting your team back to creating memorable experiences for your guests. It means having your purchase and sales data in one place immediately for effective and rapid decision making. So if we have your attention, go to me.marginedge.com slash unstoppable. And because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy 50% off your first year. Go to me.marginedge.com slash unstoppable. It's the entrepreneurial myth, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's the idea that when you open your own restaurant, life is going to get easy because you get to do exactly what it is that you love, whether that's front of house or back of house. And then reality kicks in, right? You've got to do all this other stuff that comes with owning a business like taxes, HR, payroll, really boring stuff. 
That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, HR actually easy for small business. And if you want to add on 401k or health benefits, it's a breeze. Those old school clunky payroll providers just were not built for the modern small business. Not to mention, you've got to compete with the big guys. But how do you compete with the big guys when you don't have big guy bucks? Well, with Gusto. That's how. Get back to doing what it is you love and let Gusto handle the rest. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll get your first three months free when you run your first payroll. That's Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. Again, Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Hmm. I do a 5.30 a.m. accountability call from Monday through Friday, and it's deep work, deep focus, and it's communal. We do a Zoom call. 5.30. We state our purpose for the day and what we're going to do deep work on for 90 minutes. We mute, and then we work for 90 minutes. What have you been doing deep work on lately? Uh, Business development, really. Like, How do we get out and get in front of more people? I love it. Great stuff. What is your biggest weakness? Not asking for help. Ooh, how are you overcoming that? Asking for help. <laughs> uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process when you're growing your team? I start with, don't impress me. I want to know like, yeah. who you really are. Nice. Uh, what's your biggest challenge today? I think there's more competition for us now. And how do we respond to that thoughtfully? Okay. Um, more competition specifically with, uh, the, with bubble tea. Okay. What's your plan for that? Product differentiation. Quality control. <laughs> I, I, yeah, but I, I think we've got to continue what we, we need. We're doing what we're doing, but the big thing is innovation. Got you. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a core value, a way to be, a way to act. Really like the big one, the number two core value is serving others. What Serve is, your team. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is something that's common within your four walls regarding service, uh, but not common within the industry i think having empathy for others Mm. i dig it uh what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner setting the table by danny meyer number one recommended book by far and that one's on audible if you guys have not absorbed that book yet um make sure you do it and lower the resistance get it on audible just listen to it on your drive to work head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable and you're going to support the show. And thank you if you use that link. Uh, this is episode 693, I believe. So we'll have the links over there. The next question I have for you is what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? I have a deep understanding of financials. Mm. And where did you, like, where do you go to, to get that deep understanding? Uh, spending time with financial people (laughs) (laughs) and educating yourself on finances. Yeah. Um, And uh, you know, I think it's really true. I I created a a short course um, that I'm looking to revamp. Uh, It was my first course called the profit first course. Mm -hmm. Maybe you've heard of profit first, great money management system. um, That's simple for people like me who are simple when it comes to money. (laughs) So I'll link to that too, or at least I'll let you know where to learn more about it. Uh, One piece of technology you've adopted within your four walls. So this is a technology like a POS or uh, maybe order like online ordering or anything along those lines, technology that you're leveraging to improve your business. Uh, This is actually more uh, internal, but Slack. We use Slack as an internal communication tool. When you have multiple locations, how do you disseminate information 
effectively and quickly. Yeah. And using Slack has been very impactful. Slack is recommended often on the show. And there's a book out there called Indistractable. I had the author on the show um, who has a whole chapter dedicated to best practices for Slack because it can be distracting. For sure. Um, but it can also be a great tool when used right. So if you want to learn more about how to use Slack, check out that book, Indistractable by Near Eyal. Uh, I'll link to that in the show notes as well for you guys. And then I almost forgot to ask you, name one service you've hired. So this is a, a group, maybe a person that you've oh, outsourced yeah, for that sure. is strong where you're weak. Um, O&H Brand Design. We did a rebrand in 2016, and I think it really helped propel our brand forward. Nice. And that was O&H Brand Design? Mm-hmm. And uh, who's the person behind that? Is there- Brian Owens. All right. We'll link to that as well. And this is the last question. It's a doozy, so uh, be ready for it. Okay. Uh, if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be gone with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? I would start with... Uh what I started the show with is that failure is not tied to outcome. Failure is mm-hmm. not trying. Go for it. I love it. Right? Uh, That's number one. one. Uh, number two, I think, don't be afraid to be fully known. Nice. I think vulnerability, mm-hmm. teaching vulnerability. If I think the thing that bind, uh, connects us is not our wins. It's our, it's our, it's our brokenness. Mm. I think the more we share our brokenness with people, that's how we connect and relate. I love it. And number three. Number three, I would say, and it's, again, this is probably more personal, is uh, find, find peer groups, mm. find peers, get help, spend time with like-minded individuals. I think that's how we really... We can go faster alone, but we can go further together. Man, awesome. Great stuff. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I wrap up every chat by having my guests call somebody out. Uh, so who do you oh, yeah. respect and admire in this industry? Somebody that you think would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today. A uh, good buddy of mine, someone I talk shop with very frequently, is Kyle Gordon. Okay. He owns a company called Dillis Case. Dude, I know Kyle. Okay. Oh man, have you Kyle? had him on already? No, but okay. it's funny because he's doing great, and he I met he saw me at a Mexican restaurant in Austin once, okay. and recognized me, and uh, I've been kind of following him. Uh, he's he focuses on quesadillas, right? Yeah. He, he's up to like three or four locations. He's now. about to open his fourth fourth here yeah. in town. He's got a a licensing deal in Shreveport too. So that's you number have five. No idea how happy you just made me by calling uh, Kyle's awesome. Kyle out. Yeah. Kyle, look out, man! Your time has come. You're coming <laughs> on the show. I can't wait. Uh, and uh, how can we connect with you if we want to maybe learn more about EO um, or any of these programs you're in or we have questions or maybe we want to come join your team. Maybe we're in Dallas and we're looking to be a part of your team because of how awesome you are. Yeah, you can email me, uh, Terry, T-E-R-R-Y, at fatstraws.net. Uh, also, I'm on social media. You can find us on uh, Instagram, Beautiful. Forward slash or at Fat Straws and uh, on Facebook as well. And this is episode 693. Uh, head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 693. I'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as a link to any tool or service or network recommended. And again, just thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, your mentorship. There is no questioning, Terry. You are unstoppable. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. 
Well, there you have it. Another episode in the archive here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you really enjoyed today's conversation. I know I did. Terry was great. I think the the parts of today's conversation that really stuck out to me. First, I love the example we made of Terry's mother and how much emphasis she put on relationships. Uh, and when you think of a brand like 7-Eleven, you don't think about transactional. You don't tra- think about transformative relationships. You really think about transactional relationships, but uh, it just goes to show no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, you can choose to be hospitable. You can choose to change people's lives. And I love this mentality of just relationships and family and community that Terry learned from being around his mother, just loving people and extending love first, right? Uh, Really great stuff came out of that portion of today's conversation. Uh, I really enjoyed this idea of experience and I'm kicking myself right now because we spent so much time focusing on the tea in today's conversation. I didn't even get the opportunity to talk about what, what Terry's got going on with these donuts that as of a year and a half ago, they started uh, implementing these donuts into their business. And these things are so unique uh, in, in the sense that the, the textures are so different. So what we're talking today about the experience and how uh, he really likes to focus on the experience, whether that be with the education and just experiencing the product, the tapioca uh, the, those little beads in the tea and just the, the texture of those beads and drinking this tea in, in itself is an experience, but also those donuts are such a unique textural experience too. So uh, there's so many opportunities to leverage experience in your business. And for Terry, he loves texture of the food. And that's something that didn't come out in, enough in today's conversation. And I kind of wish it did. So I wanted to put emphasis on that here. And uh, if you're in the Dallas Fort Worth area, you got to try these donuts in this tea. It's really great stuff. And then also the thing I loved about today's conversation is uh, the power of a support group. So Terry is a part of EO, uh, but you guys don't need to join a big national group to get support. Go throughout your community and find local businesses who are going through what you're going through and just meet once a month and support each other and, and, and share your, your, your challenges. You'll be surprised in how much this can help your business and your mental health. In uh, Restaurant Unstoppable, we host a mastermind. So if you want to join the Restaurant Unstoppable support group, uh, email me, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Um, uh, currently hosting one, but I'm really thinking about starting two more. So if you're interested, let me know. And I think with that, uh, we can wrap things up. Thank you so much uh, for sticking around this long. And until next time, peace out.